Um, before I read Jonah chapter 4 this week, um, I hope you guys are as excited for it as I am. Uh, it, I don't know if you guys have read while we were away over the last week, um, but just in case you haven't, I'm going to recap just a little bit of what happened on the end of 3 so that as I start 4, you're actually in the right context. Um, there's a but that starts off Jonah 4, and as most people I'm sure have said in church before, when there are big buts, you need to figure out why <laughs> and look for what happened beforehand. So just to recap what happened in um, chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 10 for you. When God saw what the people did, they stopped doing evil. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. So just to, again, reiterate, uh, the people of Nineveh have decided to turn away from their evil ways. And now we get to see the conclusion of the story and I don't know about you, but when you watch a series and it's like previously on blah, 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 <laughs> this is previously on Jonah. And so now we get to see the climax of what has happened with Jonah. All right. That should have been enough time for everybody to grab their Bibles. <laughs> I pulled a, a little bit of a pausing moment there. All right. So here we go. Jonah chapter four. But this made Jonah very unhappy, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, When I was still in my own country, this is what I said would happen, and that is why I quickly ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a God who is kind and shows mercy. You don't become angry quickly, and you have great love. I knew you would choose not to cause harm. So now I ask you, Lord, please kill me. It is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Do you think it is right for you to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down east of the city. There he made a shelter for himself and sat in the shade, waiting to see what would happen to the city. The Lord made a plant grow quickly up over Jonah, which gave him shade and helped him to be more comfortable. Jonah was very pleased to have the plant, but the next day, when the sun rose, God sent a worm to attack the plant so that it died. As the sun rose higher in the sky, God sent a very hot east wind to blow, and the sun became so hot on Jonah's head that he became very weak and wished he were dead. He said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you think it is right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah answered, it is right for me to be angry. I am so angry I could die. And the Lord said, You are so concerned for that plant, even though you did nothing to make it grow. It appeared one day, and the next it died. Then shouldn't I show concern for that great city Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who do not know right from wrong, and many animals too? Uh, thank you, Rachel, for that, um, and thank you for the, the quick recap. Uh, uh, yes, we finally have come to the final chapter of Jonah, and we've seen over the last few weeks how Jonah was out of touch with his surroundings, out of touch with his message, and today we look at something that he was finally in touch with, and that is his comfort. Jonah was in touch with his comfort, 
And what I mean by that is that he cared more about finding himself in an environment that he would find satisfactory than anything else. Like he did not care about other people. He didn't care if other people were hurting or if they were being inconvenienced or if something bad was happening to them as long as he was comfortable. I mean, I guess the best way to illustrate this, like when I, when I was studying this, is uh, two politicians popped into my mind, and you guys might be familiar with these stories. Um, Y'all might remember last year, uh, Dominic Cummings, he's one of the prime minister's advisors, he got in big trouble because right after lockdown was announced, uh, he was found 260 miles away from his home. Right, he was, He's one of the main advisors for Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson just came out and told everybody need, they need to stay in their homes and then they find uh, one of his advisors somewhere else. Or another more recent example, and one for uh, the few people I know that are watching from the states, is that uh, the state of Texas just went through this really horrible cold like winter storm that knocked out power, it knocked out water, People were going without food, and uh, one of the representatives of Texas, the Senator Ted Cruz, decided that was the best time to take a flight down to Mexico. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not supporting or I'm not denying whatever their political positions are. I'm just saying that from what their actions, from at least what their actions seem like what they did, it seems like they were more in touch with their comfort than the people they represented. They were being modern-day Jonas. And that's what I meant by mean by Jonah being out of touch with his comfort. And before I go too far into this lesson, I do want you to hear this. I'm not saying that you need to get rid of anything that makes you comfortable. I'm not one of those people that would say like, hey, you know, you better be living on the bare minimum. You better barely just be scraping by or anything like that. Because, I mean... It'd be very hypocritical for me to come and say that because every time we meet into one of these rooms, whether it be in Stone or now in Einsford, we also bring lots of little heaters and we do our best to close all the doors so that way we can heat up the room because we are, in a way, trying to be comfortable while we give these live streams. Now, the issue comes when you start to value your own comfort over everything else. And that's what Jonah did. And talking about Jonah, let's let's look at verse 1. I, I'm thankful for my wife for doing that little recap and talking about the fact the word that starts off chapter 4 is but. Right? Just like in chapter 1, we started reading and then we get in verse 3 of chapter 1, we hear the word but and then it throws the whole story of Jonah into a whole, it just twists everything around. All your expectations get thrown out the window. It's the same thing in, same thing in chapter 4. It says that Jonah was very angry. And what was he angry at? Well, if you remember, Rachel read the last verse of chapter 3, and it says that Jonah was angry at the fact that God didn't destroy Nineveh, which isn't the expectations we should have of a prophet, right? We should be expecting a prophet who goes into a city and the city gets saved that they would be celebrating, right? Like, like think about it. this is really this is the sequence of sequence of events we talked about last week that Jonah as a prophet enters a city he tells the city the warning the city listens to him and God doesn't destroy the city like that's a win 
That's something that we should be celebrating. That's something that Jonah should be like patting himself on the back. Like, look at how God has used him. But he's not. He is angry. Could you imagine like if you had this evangelist who walked into the center of London and gave a short sermon and then suddenly all of London became saved? Like that alone is incredible. But it'd be even more incredible or even more unbelievable if you heard that story and then you heard that the evangelist got really angry at the fact that people became saved after he gave his sermon. And if you also under, need to understand why this is such an unbelievable thing for a prophet to just be so angry at this, is that I just want to give you a quick uh, overview of the win record of prophets in the Old Testament. Because prophets in the Old Testament, it seems like something that you would want to be. Like, it seems like, oh, that would be such a cool thing. God talking to me, me talking to a whole people as his representative. But if we look through the Old Testament, uh, prophets are either ignored, they either get beat up for what they say, or sometimes they get killed for because people don't want to hear what they have to say to them. I mean, Isaiah 6 is this famous scene. It's this famous scene that gets quoted a lot. Isaiah basically is brought up into the presence of God. He's before his throne. They see, he sees his glory fill the whole earth, and God, with all these angels around him asks, who will go for us? Who will speak for us? And Isaiah, in his big moment of faith, stands up and says, here I am, send me. And that's where most people stop. But if we keep reading Isaiah 6, God says this to Isaiah after he confirms him as the person that's going to go for him. He says, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Like Isaiah just made this big declaration of faith of I'm willing to go, God, send me. And God tells him, cool, you're going to go and you're going to fail. You're going to go and nobody's going to listen to you. I mean, if Joel, uh, when he had uh, asked me and Rachel to come join him over here, if he would, well, if he, well, on those calls while we were like having a little interview and stuff, if he was like, hey, that's really cool. I want you to come join us. Just know no one's going to listen to you. Everything you're going to do is going to fail. And you're probably going to leave with like, you know, nobody ever appreciating anything you did. I don't think me and Rachel would be here right now. <laughs> I don't think I would be standing here sharing with you if that was the message I got from Joel. But that's a lot of the times what the prophets received from God. I mean, one of the main things Isaiah himself says over and over again, the whole first good chunk of Isaiah is all about telling Israel and telling Judah, hey, stop doing what you're doing or else you're going to go into exile. And you know what happens in Isaiah? They go into exile. Like he, his message doesn't get through. And he's not the only prophet like this. If we look at Ezekiel, same thing happens. And God tells Ezekiel this in verses in chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. He says, For you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. Isn't that an interesting verse? 
he's telling Ezekiel that you're going to a pe people that understand you, that you know the language, they're not going to listen to you. If I had sent you somewhere where you don't know the language, where you would have had to like work to understand the culture, they would listen to you. Sometimes the people who are most familiar with the truths of the word, who are most familiar and have knowledge of God, are sometimes the hardest people to change. They're sometimes the hardest people to recognize that they need to change. And that's exactly what we see in Jonah. Throughout the story, Jonah has interacted with people who have had little to no knowledge of God, yet they are the ones that act like followers of God not the person who has all the answers. Do you ever not listen or maybe not change because you already know the answer? Maybe you've heard something and you're like, oh, I don't need to, I already know that. This last week, Rachel and I, we were on this uh, week-long online training uh, with Greater Europe Mission, and it was about spiritual formation. And it would not be the first time that... It would not be the first time that we had been on a, that type of a training. And so because of that, the trap we had to avoid is not uh, just not listening, right? The, easy, the trap for us would be, oh, we've already heard all this. We don't need to necessarily be here. We're just checking off a box. Have you ever found yourself not paying attention to a sermon because you already know or you think you know what's going to be said. So Jonah, in his anger, talks to God again. And notice, once again, Jonah only starts talking to God when something bad is happening to Jonah. And here, really, nothing bad is happening to Jonah, but in his mind, the worst thing ever has happened. And that's God didn't destroy Nineveh. And in verse 2, we get this straightforward confession from Jonah of why he ran away. It's because he hated the Assyrians. He hated them so much, he didn't even want to give them the chance to be saved. And we talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about chapter 1, but I want to focus on kind of the second part of verse 2, where God, I mean, where Jonah tells God why he's mad at him specifically. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious God, merciful and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Jonah was mad at God because he loves people. Jonah was mad at God because God is gracious. Jonah here is quoting God's own words back to him. Like, these words aren't Jonah's. They come from Exodus 34.6. It's Exodus 34, 6 tells us, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is God's description for himself, and Jonah is using God's own description for himself as kind of a negative thing against God. It's almost like Jonah saw these attributes as the negatives because God, he knew that God applied this to everyone on earth not just the people that Jonah likes. And remember, Jonah, the book, is a satire. Jonah represents more than himself. In fact, I think Jonah right here is reflecting the nation of Israel. And we see that because like in Ezekiel 34, 19 through 20, God says this about Israel. He says, And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, 
he shall live by this. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. And we may think that this is absurd, right? It's so crazy to think that Jonah would feel this way, that he would be angry at God for forgiving people. But again, Jonah's a mirror. So let's take a step back and look at that. Was there a time where you thought someone deserved to be punished, but instead they were forgiven? And at that time, were you angry at the person who forgave them instead of punishing them? Because the truth is, forgiving people is hard. And forgiving people who have hurt you deeply is almost impossible. And remember, the perspective of Jonah is this. It's like a Jew being asked to forgive a Nazi. It might be a little bit easier to understand Jonah when we look at it that way. And there was a story of a Christian woman named Cory Ten Boom. You might know this story. Um, during World War II, she hid Jews along with her dad and her sister until one day they were caught. And while they were taken away, the dad died in prison. The two girls were sent to a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, uh, her sister slowly just died of malnutrition Eventually, Corey survived and was released after World War II ended, and she went around speaking in churches in Germany. Uh, in her mind, she was kind of attacking Germany with the gospel. She was trying to bring Germany back to the way that the way God wanted things. And while he, she was speaking in a specific church, she noticed that there was a man that came up to her afterwards, and she recognized the man right away. He was one of the most cruel guards at the concentration camp that she was in. And the man didn't recognize her because he said, you might not know me, but I was a, a, a officer at that concentration camp. And he told her that he had become saved. And he told her that he had prayed to God that he would have the chance to find somebody who was in that concentration camp and ask for their forgiveness. And then he raised his hand up and extended it to her and said, will you forgive me? And at that moment, all she could think about was all the pain she had endured. All she could think about was her sister dying in that concentration camp. All she could think about was all the awful things this man had done. And she couldn't find it in herself to forgive him. So she prayed. Because she knew that while she herself could not forgive the man, God could. God could forgive him through, through her. And so by sheer force of will, she took his hand. And when she took his hand at that moment, she says that there was like a warmth that overcame her body. It was like a great burden was lifted. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I forgive you, brother, with my whole heart. Or how about the story of Gordon Wilson? He was uh, it was in 1987, while well, at a Remembrance Day parade, that uh, an IRA bomb went off. And he was caught under the debris, him and his daughter, and his daughter died while he was holding her hand. And when he was interviewed later, uh, he publicly forgave the people who had set off that bomb. And, he, and I think the craziest part of this whole story isn't the necessary that he forgave them, but that people sent him hate mail afterwards saying, how dare you forgive these people? It's actually not absurd to be like Jonah in this. It's not hard 
to be somebody who is angry when other people you feel should be punished are forgiven. And Jonah ends his short angry prayer by asking God to kill him. He is so upset at what has happened, he'd rather be dead. And God simply answers him with this question. He says, is it right for you to be angry? Now, we don't get an answer right away. Instead, Jonah decides that he doesn't want to hang out in Nineveh any longer, and he heads out to a nearby hill to look over the city. He's hoping that these people who have repented will repent from their repentance and turn back to evil and be destroyed. And also, just real quick, notice which direction he went. It says he went east, east of the city. And I only point that out because, again, like I've been trying to point out through this Jonah series, is that there are themes that just flow throughout the whole Bible. And the idea of going east as going away from God is one of them. And again, where do I get that from? Well, I jump back to the beginning of the Bible. I go right back to Genesis and we see after the fall, after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they go east of the garden. And when Cain is, kills his brother, where is he sent? He says he goes east to establish his city. There's a theme throughout the Bible that people going east is like they're going away from what God wants or his presence. And it's in this little bit, last little bit of Jonah that we get this kind of peculiar story. And I know that this, out of everything that happens in Jonah, this sometimes is, causes people to get confused. We have this story of Jonah sitting there on, on the hill and, and this plant miraculously grows up and gives him shade. And we get something that we haven't seen throughout the rest of the book. It says that Jonah was happy, right? Jonah wasn't happy when he was saved from the fish. It never says that. Jonah was obviously not happy when he went and did what God called him to do and the city was saved. Jonah was only happy when he was comfortable. I think the only other time he might have been happy was when he was asleep in the boat. And then while Jonah is enjoying his new best friend, Mr. Plant, uh, Mr. Bug also shows up. And he enjoys Mr. Plant too, but not in the same way that Jonah enjoyed Mr. Plant. In fact, Mr. Plant's now dead. And Jonah, once again, is angry. And he is so angry again that he wants God to kill him. And God again asks Jonah if it is right for him to be angry. And he stamps his feet and says, yes, it is. It is right for him to be angry. And that is the last time we hear from Jonah. What a legacy to leave. Instead, Jonah doesn't end with him. It, the book of Jonah doesn't end with Jonah. The book of Jonah ends with God talking one last time. God challenges Jonah with this. He says, you cared so much about this plant that you did nothing to grow. You, did, you had no point in. You cared so much about this plant. You cared way more about it than you cared about this city with more than 120,000 people in it. He's basically saying, Jonah, where are your priorities? You cared way more about your comfort than you cared about the very lives and souls of these other humans. And then it just ends. We don't get to see what Jonah's response is. We don't see if Jonah repents. Because again, the book of Jonah isn't really about Jonah. It's about you. It's a mirror. 
you're looking into that you're looking into the book of Jonah and you're seeing what's reflected back at you and you have to ask yourself am I like Jonah? Because here's the question the book leaves you. Do you value your comfort more than the people around you? It asks you, if you, what do you value more? And while the book was originally written to Jews and it was challenging them and the fact that they were supposed to be this light to the nations, right? The Jews were supposed to live in such a way that it would attract other nations to come and follow God. But today the churches kind of taken up that responsibility. Today, the church is that city on the hill. So we should be lights in our communities where we care so much about the people around us that we're willing to get out of our comfort zones to reach people, to show people God's love. Yet what do we see often today? Well, at least from my perspective, it seems, seems all too common for a church to get comfortable that they have their congregation, they have their, their people that come meet with them on Sundays, and they're fine with that. They ignore the Ninevehs that are surrounding them. And yes, I'm, I will say this last year has offered unique challenges. It has offered some difficulties in reaching people around you. But that's no excuse. Because yes, while maybe video calls and live streams and all that, they, they no way replace the experience of being in person. It doesn't mean that we can't use them to continue serving God and pointing people towards him. I know personally how draining <laughs> sitting on a video call for hours at end can be. I mean, I just did that this whole last week. And Rachel and I will tell you that by the end of the week, we were tired. But that's not a reason, our tiredness, our comfort is not a reason to ignore what God's called us to do. So what? So why study Jonah? Well, I hope you've enjoyed this journey. I hope that you've learned a little bit more about how to read the Bible and understand it, how it's important to know what type of book you're reading. It's important to know what style the book is written in. It's important to recognize themes that reoccur throughout the Bible and how that can help really drive home what God's trying to share with us. I have hoped that you learn what it means to be out of touch with your surroundings when you're so unaware of what's going on around you because you're so focused on yourself. What it means to be out of touch with your message when you don't realize that the very gospel we're sharing actually applies to us as well. We need to recognize that we too needed somebody to save us. And I hope you realize what it means to be in touch with your comfort. And I hope that today you ask yourself, which of those things are you out of touch with and which of those things are you in touch with? Because God calls us to be a people that are in touch with our surroundings, in touch with our message, and out of touch with our comfort. But most importantly, I hope that you've seen that Jonah is a mirror. I hope that you don't see this book as just a nice story. This is a nice kid story, right? It's just... It's a story about a guy and a fish and he gets swallowed and spit up, right? No, that's not what this story is about. It's not what Jonah's about. I hope that you read this and you're like, oh, wow, this is convicting. Oh, wow, I see myself in this. Oh, wow, this is a mirror that's reflecting some things I didn't want to see. And I hope that you have been honest with what has been reflected back at you. Because God 
God can help us. God can help shape us. He can change our hearts. And one of the first steps it takes is to recognize that there are things that we need to change. If we're very stubborn, God will, God will eventually reach us. There's a, actually a sermon illustration that I remember very clearly from when I was much younger. And I, my youth pastor shared where he had these sticks. And he had different sticks that were different thickness. And he showed how the very thin stick you could take and you could break easily. But the very thick one, he had to like really put a lot of pressure on it. He had to ram it over his leg to break it. And he said, that's what we're like with God sometimes. Sometimes we are very much willing to be changed. We're like that little easy stick. God barely has to put any pressure on us and we change. And then sometimes we are so stubborn, we have to be cast into the sea and swallowed by a fish before God can get a hold of us. Is there something that you need to be more in touch with or more out of touch with? Is there someone you need to forgive? And most importantly, you need to ask yourself today, are you a Jonah? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to go through this book. Thank you so much for just your word. Thank you so much that this story has been preserved for thousands of years so that we could read it and study it and understand it. Thank, thank you for speaking to us this way. God, I just pray that today we will be a people that will not be a bunch of Jonas, that we will be a people that will respond to you when you call us, that when you ask us to do something, we won't try to run away because we don't want to do it. We won't be a people that are standing up on the inside, but we'll be a people that submit to you. We'll be a people that are in touch with our surroundings and in touch with our message. And we don't care about our comfort so much that we ignore those around us. Thank you again just for everybody who is tuned in to listen, everybody who will watch this later. I pray that this message has touched them. I pray that it hasn't been my words, but your words. Thank you for all that you've done and all you will do. In your name, amen.